seriously, and they think I'm joking 90% of the time, but I'm not joking at all. I say, don't give me nothing else to do. Because I literally don't have any time. I don't. I wish I did. I wish I had as much time as some people thought I had. Because, you know, when you teach five Bible studies on the weekdays, Wednesday night Bible study, three services on Sunday, you've got a month of television broadcasts and a month of radio broadcasts. You say, well, all you got to do is quit doing that. Well, praise God. If we don't want to win nobody to Jesus, yeah, we could all quit doing what we're doing. Why even come to church? Why even, why even come to Sunday school or Sunday service? Because after all, you know, uh, what's the use? You got to put in time for the Lord. You, you can do without a job. You can't do without serving the Lord. We have to learn how to manage our time so that we can have a passion. How many knows that it's hard to be passionate about something when you're wore out? You know, um, sometimes when you want to do something and, and you have a passion, maybe you like to play golf. I don't play golf. I'm probably one of the few preachers that don't play golf. Somebody asked me what my hobby was, and I said, I ain't got none. Who has time for a hobby? Oh, <laughs> well, let's go play 18 holes of golf. I don't know when you do it. You must be praying in between swings. But with the understanding that if we're not careful the things that we have a passion for become all the wrong things. Instead of having a passion for the work of the Lord, we'll have a passion for golf. We'll have a passion for, you know, four-wheeling. We'll have a passion for fishing, hunting, you know. And nothing wrong with having those hobbies. But don't let that be your passion. Amen. Don't spend so much time doing that that you can't do nothing for the Lord. Each one should win one this year. Each one of us should find somebody that's lost. I'm pretty sure if I ask for a raise of hands, and I don't want to raise a hand, but if I was to ask for it and say, do you know anybody lost personally? You're going to say yes. I'm going to challenge you to win them this year. Somebody backslid. Win them this year somebody who used to have a love for the Lord and now they've just fallen by the wayside win them back to Jesus each of us as we read these scriptures we can see how the that the instruction is not to be slowful in business but to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Which, uh, you know, if you're fervent about something, you're dedicated to it. You're on fire with it. You know, when somebody, you know, first starts serving the Lord, they're on fire. Right? They're on fire. 
And, and then sometimes when uh, somebody gets a new job, man, they're on fire. They want to double back. They, they want to work all the overtime they can. They love that job. And then about six months in, I hate this job. And they start singing Willie Nelson songs or something. I don't know. <laughs> Johnny Paycheck. There you go. I don't even know them country people. But, but when we look at this, uh, what is being told in Romans is that we have to learn how to be fervent in the Spirit. We have to learn how to be on fire for God. It's hard to win people when you're complaining all the time. It's hard to get people to come to a church you talk about all the time. It's hard to get people interested in, you know, coming to youth service when you say, we ain't got no youth. What if I went out and every time I met somebody, oh, come up Cornerstone. We ain't got nobody up there worth nothing, but come on up there. <laughs> you think they're going to say, okay, when service. <laughs> we have to be fervent, on fire, passionate about the work of the Lord. I, I want to be fervent in spirit. I want to be passionate about church. When church time comes, I want to, I want to show up. I want to show up. When, you know, there's, there's 24 hours in a day, right? Everybody has the same amount of time, right? That's right. Everybody has 24. If I was looking, Brother Dwayne, how many hours a day you have? 24. Okay. That's what I got. I'm sure if I asked everybody else, you got 24. Understanding that, I learned a long time ago since I was a, a passionate person about church and about serving the Lord, Wednesdays were off limits for anything extra. This is before I ever started pastoring. This is before I ever started pastoring. I still attended every Wednesday night service. When they put me on second shift, I felt like I'd been laid off from the Lord because I thought, how am I going to go to church now? Can't go to church on Wednesday. But you see, if we're not careful, we will not be fervent about the things we're supposed to be fervent about but we will be fervent about other things. We'll be passionate about other things. But if we really want to see revival, our families saved, our loved ones brought in, people getting the Holy Ghost, people being baptized in Jesus' name, we're going to have to be fervent about serving the Lord. Wednesdays, I don't plan anything extra. I don't. Somebody will call me and say, uh, you know, when I was in computer business, they'd say, uh, on Wednesday. Come, come work on my computer. I say, no. They say, why not? I say, it's Wednesday. So? <laughs> my computer's down. And I go, so? Wednesday is church night. I don't plan doctor's appointments. 
Oh, blessed quietness. Doctor looks at me and says, is Wednesday okay? I say, no. You know what they do? They don't say, well, praise God. If you can't come Wednesday, then go find you another doctor. No, they open their little book and they look through and say, how about Thursday? I don't plan any doctor's appointments. I don't plan anything to take up my time to where I am going to miss Wednesday night service, whether I'm preaching or not. I want to hear Brother Dwayne, hear Brother Caleb. So, amen. I'm not going to miss church. I don't plan anything on Sunday that is going to take up some of my time to where I can't, uh, or Saturday. Let's just talk about Saturday. Woo, let's talk about Saturday. Saturday we get and we lay out till the wee hours of the morning and then we're too tired to come to Sunday school. I learned one thing. Well, I learned two things. Um, I learned more than that, but there's two things I won't mention. <laughs> that uh, if somebody's preaching something and it hits you, you say, Oh, me. <laughs> there, there's something that you got to understand. I don't want to be hit by the word every time somebody gets up and preaches. Right? I want to try to move a little bit. And I want to try to do a little bit better. It'd be like going to work, Brother Dwayne, and you as the boss, and I'd show up five minutes late or ten minutes late or thirty minutes late, and you say, uh, What's the problem? Well, you know what? I went last night. I was out with the gang, and we was just hanging out, and it was about 2 a.m. You're going to say, they ain't got a thing to do with what you're doing right here on this job. And if you care anything about your job, you'll be here on time. Right? I know we're living in a world that allows the wokeness of our generation to just do whatever. Come in late. You know, work if you want to. Don't work if you want to. I don't know about you. I hate to harp on, on all these fast food re restaurants. They're doing the best they can. But when somebody's standing there like this right here, and I'm at the drive-in, and I've got my credit card out the window, and it's pouring the rain. <laughs> and they're like this right here. And showing it to their co-worker, and they go... <laughs> And then they get it back. And then they look over at you and they go, You missed it. You didn't look at me. They go, And then they, That's the world we're living in. Everybody's preoccupied with everything but what they're supposed to be doing. Whether it's fast food. Now, I'm not, I'm not harping on fast food. But I will tell you this. They've redefined it. It's not fast food anymore. I, I could go in, flip the burgers myself, wrap them up, and do it quicker than they do it. I believe I could put them nuggets in some grease and... I know nobody else has this problem. You go through and it's right there waiting on you and they say have a nice day and they give you a drink and they... And, and here's one more thing before I quit complaining. 
Why won't they give you your drink before they, while they're waiting on the food to be given? I'm just asking. Because I'm pretty thirsty on Sunday after preaching here, two services usually, and then preach over at Pipeful, and then we go through a drive-thru, and they're standing there, and I see my drinks there, and I, I, I go, I wish I had a straw I could just slip through the window because I don't know. That ain't got nothing to do with revival. <laughs> it probably hinders my revival sometimes. But you know what? We have to be fervent in business uh, and, and not slothful, and we have to be fervent in the spirit, I should say, serving the Lord rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And I think that that is interesting that it says rejoicing in hope. Uh, I hope that we have revival. I hope we see God move. I hope. When I come to church on Wednesday, I'm not satisfied with just a Bible study. I hope you're not. I hope you don't come and say, well, I hope pastor just teaches for about 15, 20 minutes. I want to feel God. I want to feel God. I, I want to know that, that he's in this place and, and I, have to, I have to put something forth in order to have that happen. So I want to, I want to challenge us. I want to challenge us because the word of God challenges us. Preaching should challenge us. Right? Preaching should challenge us to want to be better. It should challenge us. Each of you should look not on your own interests, but also on the interests of others. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 4. In fact, Jesus is counting on you. Right? How many knows Jesus is counting on the church? He went away and he said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. So we can't say we ain't got the comfort. We can't say we ain't got power because you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We can't say we can't be witnesses because that's what the Holy Ghost is for, for us to be witnesses. So Jesus went away and he left the church. And he said, go and teach all nations. We got to learn how to tell others about Jesus. It's hard to be the light of the world when you are sitting in darkness. It's hard to be the light of the world when you have the fear of stepping out and doing something for God. You can't be a light if you're not willing to shine. Right? The man who had received the one talent said, Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. That's in Matthew. Basically, he says, I'm not going to do nothing with what you give me. When the Lord comes back, are we only going to offer him back what he gave us? Are we only going to say, here I am, Lord, saved, sanctified, and full of your spirit? 
Where's your family? Where's your co-workers? Where's your neighbors? Where's your Sunday school class? Where's your youth service? Where, you see, we can go right down the line, can't we? It's hard to be a lot when you really have a fear of stepping out and doing something for the Lord. I want to cast aside all fear. He's not given us the spirit of fear, right? He's not given us the spirit of fear. In fact, I want to step out, not in fear. But I want to stand, step out in boldness and say, I got the Holy Ghost. I can, I can witness to somebody. I can help somebody. I can talk to somebody about Jesus. Now, the reason a lot of people don't want to talk to somebody about Jesus is the simple reason that when you start talking about Jesus, people will laugh at you, make fun of you, walk away from you, take two steps back. Right? You start talking to people about Jesus, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear it. They'll want to hear it one day. One day when they lift up their eyes in hell, they're going to wish they had heard the word of the Lord. In fact, the illustration, the illustration given that the one man said, I've got five brothers. Send somebody, just tell them and warn them. Just, just, I need to let them know of this awful place. You know what? The Lord looked at him and said, nope. They got the prophets. They got preachers. They got prophets. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. They got people that will tell them. And if they don't hear them, they'll not hear one though he rose from the dead. We got to learn how to tell somebody because people are dying on a daily basis. Some people had a desire to wake up this morning and do something and they're no longer on this earth. Some people have had a mind that they was going to go to work and they ended up winding up in the hospital or something. But we have to have passion, a desire, a dedication. We have to have a passion which is the power to make it happen. Somebody says, I can't make anything happen. Have you tried? Have you tried? Because if you got passion, that's the power to make it happen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. So if you got faith, you believe it'll go, it's, it's going to happen, right? You, you believe it's going to come to pass. You believe it's going to happen. You're not doubting it because you got faith. Faith says, I'm going to do this. You know what? When we started out at Mouth Guard, Kentucky, we started out by faith. When we came here and built this building, we built it by faith. We had bankers tell us, we can't loan you money. Why? Because people may come to church one day and may be gone the next. And I said, what's that got to do with us? One, one banker said, that, that dog won't hunt. I began to think, that's trouble with you bankers. You ain't got no faith. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for. I even told him you can have the building back if the Lord comes back. I told him that. They ain't going to get nothing on me. So I began to just say, well, if you won't give it to me, somebody will. So I went to the bank next door. <laughs> I walked into that bank. The person looked at me. I said, we need $175,000. She said, okay, let me sit down here. Started filling paperwork out. Said, what are, you, what are you doing with it? I said, we're going to build a church. Okay. Just kept writing. Said, uh, well, will $175,000 do it? And I said, yeah, pretty much. She said, you sure you don't want $200,000? $220,000? I'm like, the pastor in me wanted to say, come on, yeah, 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 I believe I'll take it. No, I just need 175000 I said, I thank you, though, for offering that. She had no problem. Why? Because she had faith. She, she served the Lord. And she gave us the money. You see, God, God will put you in the path of favor. He will put you in the path of favor. But we have to be passionate about serving him in order for that to happen. Passion is the power to make it happen. The creative force behind all great art or great drama or great music or great architecture, all great writing is passion. You've got to have a passion to read if you're going to ever read. You're going to have to have a passion to write if you want to write great articles. You have to have a passion. Passion is what energizes life. I'm going to do something with my life today. Without passion, life becomes boring. It becomes monotonous. It becomes routine. It becomes dull. God created you with the emotions to have the passion in your life And he wants you to live a passionate life. Passion is what mobilizes armies into action. Passion is what causes people to go volunteer for the military. Passion is what causes people to step out and start a business when there is no business there. Passion is what causes explorers to boldly go where no man has ever been. You got to have a passion to go to the Arctic. I can't even stand East Kentucky winters. <laughs> but to go to the Arctic, uh, North Pole, South Pole, No Pole. Passion is what causes explorers to boldly go where no man's gone before. Passion is what causes scientists to spend late night hours trying to find the cure for a dreaded disease. Passion is what it takes, uh, what takes a good athlete and turns him or her into a great athlete. 
where they're breaking records. Passion. You've got to have passion in your life. Now this is why the Lord was so concerned about Laodicea. Everybody knows Laodicea. Laodicea began to be recorded in the Message Bible. I know you inside and out, and I find uh, little to my liking. You're not cold. You're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale. You're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. That's what spew you out of my mouth means. It actually means vomit in the Greek. So I began to think about that. How important it was that the Lord said, Laodicea, you aren't passionate about anything. You're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. You're not on fire. You're not refreshing. You know, somebody said, well, why did he say it'd rather be hot or cold? Wouldn't lukewarm be better than cold? Have you ever been out mowing grass on a hot day and went in and somebody gave you a lukewarm glass of water? It's not refreshing, is it? But if they gave you a big cold water, oh, you'd drink it and you'd be refreshed. So we either got to refresh people and we got to be on fire to set other people on fire about the passion the Lord's put in us. Love God with passion. Passionate relationships don't fail. I'm going to talk to all the married people in the house. If you're passionate about your spouse, your marriage will not fail. Only people said amen see them sit beside their wife. <laughs> Passion keeps a marriage together, a relationship going. That's why you got to treat your spouse just like you did when you dated them. When we dated our spouses, I don't know why this turned into a marriage seminar, but God knows what we need. You know what? When you was dating your, your wife or husband-to-be, and mostly I just want to talk about men, you was dating your wife, you broke your neck to open up the car door. Now the car door slams on their leg and you say, you all right? <laughs> My wife one time fell in the parking lot. We was on her way to church. And uh, she fell. And it was wet pavement. And, and I was sitting in the vehicle and I was sitting there waiting, had... Music on, heat on. I'd look over my shoulder every now and then, look at the porch, nobody coming. I'd, I'd listen to my music, and then I'd talk. And then I'd look again. I don't know where she's at. No, I didn't start blowing the horn, but I, I was almost there. But... Uh, I was, I was there, and, and then all of a sudden, I heard a blood-curdling scream. And I looked around, still didn't see nobody. I wanted to sing that song. I looked all over, couldn't find nobody. 
she was injured. She couldn't get up. She, she had a broken, um, whatever that little bone is. <laughs> so I finally get out, see what all the commotion's about, and there she lays. And I start picking her up, trying to pick her up. I don't know what, what you had in your hands, but it was all over the place. It was, it was all over the place. But you know what? Passion keeps the relationship going. Passion keeps the relationship going. If we don't have a passion for Jesus, our relationship breaks apart. Our relationship breaks down. So we have to have passion. God's great love for us inspires us to love Him and serve Him. I'm glad He loves me. Did you know that Paul cut all ties with the world when he was converted? Too many people want to be converted and hang on to the world. You can't be converted. Converted means you're changed. You know what a converter does? Changes stuff. You know what your uh, Cadillac converter? Everybody calls it a Cadillac converter. It's not. It's a Cadillac converter. <laughs> it, it changes that exhaust into something else. You know what a power converter does? Your cell phone has a power converter that you plug it into every night. It changes 120 volts down to, I don't know, Five volts, something, maybe 12 volts. I don't know what they charge on, but I believe it's five something. Brother Dennis knows all that stuff. He'll, he'll inform us later. But you know, it converts it, right? So when we're converted, we should be changed. We should have a passion now, not for self or for the world, but we should have a passion for the Lord. How much do we value our salvation? That's a good question, isn't it? How much is it worth to you? How much is heaven worth? How much has the Lord invested in you? Have you ever heard somebody say, the company's invested millions of dollars in you? Now, all of us coal miners, the company invested in us. They trained us, taught us how to run equipment, and then we'd end up going and working somewhere else. They had a great investment in us. The Lord invested in us, right? The Lord has invested in us. So we got to ask the question, how much is it worth to us to have salvation? Have you compared it to the alternative of not being saved? An act of worship is depicted in this verse. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Psalms 116 and 13. You know what? It was common practice in the Old Testament to bring an offering and lift it up unto the Lord. I've been thinking about some stuff. It's just me thinking. But I've been thinking about some stuff about when we give in the offering to
to come and lift it up before the Lord and then put it in the sowing seed or put it in the offering plate. Because that's what they did. They came and lifted up an offering to the Lord. We have got to be passionate about serving the Lord. Paul, to Paul, the task of lift, lifting up the cup of salvation from which he drank and received life was the only real purpose of remaining in the world. He said, it'd be better for me if I went on. But it's better for you that I stay. Right? He's passionate about the church. I mean... You know, people today, you ask them, well, if you had a choice, you go to heaven right now. We all know that no, you don't go to heaven right now and you're not up there looking down on everybody else saying, come on now, come on now, you can make it. That's not happening. But if you could go to heaven right now or just stay here, 90% of the people, 99% of the people say, well, I got to go, see you. <laughs> see you, it won't be you. Paul, the task of lifting up the cup of salvation from which he drank and received, his, it was his only real purpose for remaining in the world. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That's found in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. I want everyone to see what the Lord's done for me. I want the Lord to be lifted up in a lost and dying world. The church is the only people that's going to do that. The lost are not going to praise Him. The grave will not praise Him. The Bible says that. Your life reflects your vows. How many believes that? Your life reflects your vows. And everybody knows it's better not to make a vow than to make one and break it. So our life reflects our vows. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. Psalms 116 and verse 14. Vows are promises. That's all a vow is. It's a promise, right? A promise that we must keep, whether in marriage, employment, or in serving God. What does it mean to keep our vows to the Lord before the people? Do they see Christ in you all the time? If you say, I love the Lord, every area of your life should reflect that, right? Fulfill your vows to the house of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people in the courts of the house of the Lord. There's many reasons for coming to church. We all have our reasons, right? Sometimes we come because we want to see our brothers and sisters and tell them we love them and worship with them the Lord with them and praise the Lord with them sing the songs we all have our reasons for being here but we need to understand one reason that we come to the church is to encourage each other what if somebody came tonight and they're down they're out they're hurting Nobody says anything to them. We don't even sing home, home on the range to them. Where never is heard a discouraging word. 
We won't even encourage people because we're too busy for ourselves. We, we, we got to get this. We got to get the attention. We got to have this. And it's all about us. And then somebody sitting on a pew right beside of us is dying spiritually and down and feeling like life is just falling apart. And we don't encourage them. One of the reasons we come to church is to encourage each other. I'd like to put this into action right now. Find you somebody in front of you, behind you, and just look over at them and say, I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to encourage you. Church attendance provides an opportunity for accountability. If you're never at church, how do I know if you're even still serving God? Right? God never intended for you to have your little church in your little corner on your own little time schedule. I love this lesson. That's, that's written right there, mid-page. Sacrifice has always been a part of serving God. How many knows that sacrifice is still a part of serving God today? How many knows that sacrifice costs you something? It's not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost you something. A sacrifice costs you. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you money. It'll cost you a lot of stuff. Sacrifice. That's, that's why we must still sacrifice. No, we don't bring no lambs and no goats and pigeon, pigeons and turtle doves and, and all that and bring it to an altar. We present ourselves a living sacrifice. So sacrifice has always been a part of serving God. In fact, serving God always requires a sacrifice. If we come empty-handy, in empty-handy, empty-handed, then we will not have a sacrifice. Words like sacrifice and offering express the concept of giving without regard to cost or return. I'm going to close here with these last few thoughts. Offer thanks. I will sacrifice a thank offering. The offering of thanksgiving. Since God has given to us abundantly, shouldn't we offer thanksgiving to Him? Prayer requests should always be preceded by thanksgiving. It was God's love that made a way for our sins to be forgiven. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. Amen. He did more for us than we would do for anyone else. Right? So I want to close with this final verses. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him oh this is good stuff should not perish or shall not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and 8 But God demonstrates His own love for us for in this while we were still sinners, yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for us. 
And because of his great love, we love him because why? He first loved us. Amen, amen, amen. I'm going to ask the singers and musicians to come and, and we'll close out with a song because I always like to start singing with singing. I always like to close out with singing. But I want to have a passion. And this is something that I think even falls into our singing. We have to have a passion to sing. A passion to sing for the Lord. We, if we don't have passion to sing for the Lord, then, then we're doing no one any good in the audience. If we're not giving our 100% on the platform, how do we expect the audience to get what they need? If, if we just come and put in our time, somebody may die lost. Somebody may go home without the Holy Ghost. Somebody may find themselves in a place that, that they just want to give up on God. But if we got a passion, if you sing with passion, if you praise with passion, if you worship with passion, if you lift up your voice, if you play an instrument with passion, it's going to resonate throughout the congregation. I want to have.